Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. I am so excited to invite our next guest here. He grew up in the largely Muslim a city of Tripoli, Lebanon, and since coming to faith in Jesus Christ, he has a huge heart for Muslims and serving amongst them. Uh, he is known for his work in the supervision of the modern, clear version of the Arabic Bible, so that's pretty awesome, and he has a huge heart for international students and seeing them come to know the salvation in Jesus Christ. Uh, he writes and lectures internationally about ministry to Muslims, and he strives, this is important, he strives to awaken a new generation who will proclaim the gospel boldly. So I would like you guys, cross-pointers, if you're new and you're not, we make big noise for all our guests, so let's make a big cross-point welcome for George Husni. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, I feel bad that you gave me such a warm welcome. Let's now turn it around and welcome Jesus. Same way. (laughs) Hallelujah. Uh, I'll do the commercials before I start. There's a table back there with this uh, pretty lady there, Linda, and she will uh, show you what we have. This is my book. I wrote this after September 11. Actually, George Brewer, the uh, founder of Operation Mobilizations, how many of you know him? Yeah? He called me from Ground Zero. said, George, you must write a book for the um, American church. That includes Canada. You're one of the 55th states or something. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, help the church know how to think about Islam and Muslims and how to deal with this situation. So that's why I wrote this book, and I called it Engaging Islam. How to engage them, not just learn about them, but to actually impact them with the gospel. So this book I'm not allowed to sell because I told the customs I'm giving them away. So, I'm going to give it away this way. Who brought a Bible with you today? Okay. No, not the phone. Real, real Bible. Real Bible. Okay. You, you got one. Here. That's yours. All right. And the rest of you, you get one out there. And who uh, has a phone on the cell phone? Yeah? A few of you. All right. So, if you like to put a donation, you're welcome to do that, but it is a free gift for you. But if you have me sign it, I didn't tell customs that I charge $1,000 for the signature. I didn't have to import my signature, I just had it here. And if you like what you're going to hear today, you can take me home with you for uh, a donation of what? One million dollars, something like that? Yeah, it's, it's really a four-week full course. If you were to come to Colorado, pay all that money, and hotel, and food, and so on, for four weeks, you get this for equivalent to 30, 40. It's 30 US dollars. So who would like one? I like to throw. <laughs> You're too far. There you go. Ah, that could break your back, your head. I also have a few Arabic-English New Testaments. This is my translation of the Arabic. I did the whole Bible, but this is only the New Testament. If you know Arabs who need the Word of God, how many of you know an Arab who needs the Word of God? So these are, in U.S. dollars, about 10, but we'll take a Canadian 10 also. All right? (laughs) Who would like one of these? Oh, my, good, good. And this one is light. 
I don't know if it'll even get to you. If you want to get our news, what's going on around the world, we're going to give you a report today. Then you can fill one of these out there. There's other brochures and materials, so help yourself to the table at the end. Let's open the Word of God. Revelation chapter 3, and then we'll put the PowerPoint on. You have it up there? Here it is. And I'm supposed to. What is God doing around the world? Huh. So, Revelation is in the New Testament. At the very end, if you haven't found it yet, I'm looking for it. Chapter 3, verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. Do you know his name? Who is this one? These are the words of one who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What's his name? You're so shy. What's his name? Who else? Who else? Jesus. Say it a bit louder. Jesus. Amen. This is what Jesus says. And he says that to the church, Philadelphia, the brotherly love church, but also to us. What, ha what he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Now read to me, uh, with me, verse 8. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. When God opens a door, no one can shut it. But if he closes a door, no one can open it. And I know in my many years, decades of life in Christ, that God is not about shutting doors. If he shuts a door, it's because he opens another one. And he will always make a way where there is no way. He will do the impossible because he is the God of the impossible. He is our sovereign God. The reason I put this verse as the beginning of this talk is that there's a lot of defeatism in the church in regard to Muslims and Islam. We can't do anything. Look at the Muslims. They're growing. They're the fastest growing religion, which is actually a lie. It's not true. But we all say that. Hey, they're coming to us. They're coming to take over. They're taking over our businesses. They're taking over our street. And soon they'll take our government. And this is partially true. But you can change that, right? They're coming for their own agenda, but God gives us another agenda. And that agenda is to reach them with the gospel. And we'll change the reason they came. Are you with me on this? Is it possible? Let's see some pictures, slides, of what God is doing around the world. I have been traveling all over the world. I have, uh, this year, I'll be traveling to two new countries, so it'll be 105 countries. Yeah? You want to come with me? Sure. Let's go together. <laughs> so buckle up, and we will just go on a journey around the world. What is God doing around the world? This is backwards. This is the first time I use this. What's happened? <laughs> Am I doing this? From turmoil to glory, refugees find refuge in Jesus. There we go. The gospel is actually gaining around the world. Do you know that? 
We think, uh, we hear in the news only bombs and explosions and wars and refugees and all that stuff. But here at Cross Point, is that the name of the church? I got it right. You heard it, that God is working and the gospel is gaining around the world. Here are a few countries that I will feature. Korea, Africa, India, China, and Iran. I chose some. In Korea, in the year 12, 1900, there was hardly any Christians in the whole country of Korea. It's a Buddhist country. I was in Korea a couple of years ago. My book was translated to Korean, so I went there to launch it. Went to eight cities in Korea. And uh, everywhere you drive, you'll find churches. Big churches, crosses, rising high over steeples. I went on a, on a run in the morning, one place on a hill. I looked down and I saw the crosses like trees over the buildings. 40% of the country is Christian, and that's a conservative uh, estimate. The largest church in the world is in Korea. Uh, years ago, they say one million members of one church. They have 32,000 pastors. 32,000 pastors in one church. We would be happy if we had two pastors <laughs> in our church. <laughs> Africa, in the 19th century, less than 3% of the continent was Christian. The rest were animists uh, who worship idols or cows or the sun or whatever else, and Muslims. Islam is still predominant in North Africa. If it weren't for North African Islam, it'd be much higher. It'd be more like 80% Christian. But with including North Africa, it's 63% Christian. About 20 years ago, Muslims were promoting the vision that Africa will become, by the year 2025, the first fully Islamic continent. No way, Jose. <laughs> it's not happening and it's not going to happen. The gospel is gaining in Africa. I've been in 30 African countries. With the exception of North Africa, the, all the other churches, other, other countries, the churches are busting at the seams. There's no seating area that's not full. And even the hallways are full. We have almost half the church here with a podium, but it's full. I've been in places where I'm speaking and they're sitting right around me. <laughs> the church is gaining. And there are people in the doors trying to listen in. Praise God. India. Today, 25 million Christians live in India. It started with William Carey just a couple of hundred years ago. And there are others. Now I'm going to give you a surprise. Who likes surprises? I'm going to give you a surprise that Canada impacted India. Does anybody know about this? What's the role of Canada in impacting India? 25 million is still a small part of the population. It's about, what, 3%. But the gospel is gaining in India to the extent there are thousands of churches being planted all the time. And they, some reports I have read, they baptize 20, 30, 40,000 people at a time in the ocean or in the rivers or in lakes, wherever they find water. It's amazing. How did Canada impact India? It wasn't done politically. <laughs> it wasn't done by sending missionaries from Canada to India. But it was done by a couple from Manitoba who actually applied for a mission agency to go to India and they were denied. 
they did not pass the test whether they're worthy of being missionaries. So I wonder how many of you, if you apply to a mission agency, you'll be accepted. How many of you think you do not qualify? Let's see. How many of you think you do not qualify to be a missionary and it's not likely you'll be accepted? Not, not many of you. All right. Well, good. The rest of you don't know why I'm asking this question. <laughs> and you don't know the answer to it, so it's okay. How many of you don't know the answer to that? All right, it's a little more. Well, this couple were denied acceptance in this, in this uh, organization, mission agency, but they knew that at the university there are Indians coming to Canada. So they called, here's the role of Canada. Well, I'm gonna go to the next one. Something is wrong with this. <laughs> I'm gonna go back. How does this happen? <laughs> I have to learn how to use this thing. Oh man. Forgive me. Are you gonna forgive me? I don't think you will. Okay, let's see, let's see, let's see. Go back, go back, 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 back. I don't know how it's jumping. Somebody help me. Okay, so go backwards. No, 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 no. Is this going back now? Yeah, it is. Okay, stay that way, stay that way. Now you know the rest of the story. It's too bad. <laughs> No, 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 no. It's not working. Can you start it over, please? Because then I can do one button. I haven't used this before. So I forgive myself. I don't forgive myself. I should have. So now we're in Korea. Next. Africa, that's working. India, it's working. Okay, it's working. This fellow was a student who came, an international student in Minnetpeg, Manitoba, in 1929. John and Edith Hayward, Canadian couple, who were denied to go to India, called the university and said, we hear there are Indians here, we need friends. Can you give us a name to befriend? And they befriended this young man who was 18 years old at the time and led him to Christ. He was baptized in 1932, returned to India, and began to evangelize. And now 10,000 churches call themselves the Bak Singh Fellowships, after his name, Bak Singh, who died only 18 years ago at the age of 97 left behind 10,000 churches, not 10,000 people. See what happens. I believe that this couple, if they had gone to India, they probably wouldn't have been as effective. But an Indian who, when he was in London, was given a Bible and he took it and tore it to pieces and threw it away. He was antagonistic to Christianity. But the love of this couple attracted him. And he started going to church with them. They started reading the Bible with him. And he accepted Christ. And he has impacted India greatly. And only in, our, in the recent past. You can do that with refugees that have come here, international students, and so on. not working. Can you pa uh, forward it to the next slide? Okay. China. The Christian population in China is growing very, very rapidly. I was in China in March and in Hong Kong and Taiwan, one trip, and I saw churches everywhere. It's amazing. I heard on, on TV, BBC World Service, broadcast from Singapore, that there are no less than 100 million Christians in China. 
But when I was in China, the pastor said, the government does not want to show how many Christians really are here. There could be well over 300, 400,000, 400 million Christians in China. And so, next slide, please. Uh, churches are crowded. This is one of the churches. There's, there's a church, this church, 10-story building, big building. And this is the fourth floor, completely filled, jam-packed. And at the end of the service, I learned that every floor had a TV. This was the main hall, but all the 10 floors had TVs in large rooms and small rooms. It's crowded. Wow. I don't see this church as crowded, but it can be. We've got to do something about it. The gospel is growing around the world, but it's shrinking in the West. That's the reality. Why? Because we got too comfortable in our church. We come and sing wonderful service, wonderful music, wonderful worship music, and hear great teaching. And we have everything available to us. Bibles everywhere. How many of you have more than one Bible at home? And how many people in the world don't even have a Bible? I was in Zambia 21 years ago. It's now 23 years ago. And I spoke to a gathering of 400 pastors. I stood on a podium high, even higher than this, and looked down. And I said, open the Bible. And more than half of them did not open the Bible. So I said, shame on you. You're pastors coming to a Christian gathering. And cell phones were not very popular. And hardly any one of them had a cell phone. So they can't say like some of you said, oh, here's my Bible. So the pastor behind me said, shame on you for shaming them. They don't have a Bible. They don't even own a Bible, many of them. Pastors, I was puzzled by that. So I went on my teaching later and said, Barry, what do you mean they don't have Bibles? These are pastors. Aren't they all pastors? Yeah, it's a pastor's conference. He said, a Bible costs ten dollars, ten U.S. dollars, equivalent, which is five thousand kocha to the <laughs> dollar, so it's thousands, and uh, it's more than their salary. So I went back to Boulder and wrote to all the churches in the area and collected two thousand Bibles and shipped them to Zambia. I got a picture. A little short video of each pastor called by name to come and receive their Bible. And they go sit down and they clap and they take a picture with the Bible in their hand. They were so hungry to receive the Bible, so excited to receive the Bible. And what do we do here? We don't even carry the Bible with us to church. We don't even read it. I think there should be some change as of today. The only way to be fruitful in ministry and in life is to be, to abide in the Word, to be attached to the Word of God. Let the Word of God saturate our minds, our hearts, and that's what gives us the motivation to be obedient to the great call of God on our lives, to make an impact in this world. But most of us watch history, but we do not want to make history. The church is called to make history, to change the history of Canada, to change the history of the world that has come to Canada by reaching one Indian, one Chinese, one Lebanese, one Syrian, one Iraqi, one Mexican, one American, one Canadian for the gospel. Each one of us won and will double the church in a short time. And those can bring the gospel to others as well. Apparently the battery has not been charged. That's why it's acting weird. So in Hong Kong, I had a debate with this imam. You can see he's talking at this time, and I'm looking at him. 
wondering at his deception, what I'm going to do with it. As a result of that, uh, the talk was about, has the Bible been corrupted? That was my turn now speaking. And as a result, this is the crowd that attended. Many Muslims, about a third of the attendees were Muslims. And here's one guy who took me on the side and says, I want to know more. He's from Yemen, came to Hong Kong from Yemen as a refugee. And he received Christ five days later. I spent three meetings with him the night of the uh, debate and two nights later, two hours. And then the last night I was there, he came to my hotel room and we spent five hours sharing the gospel with him. Now he's still going strong, and he texts me all the time, asks me questions. Sometimes he calls me on WhatsApp, and I answer his questions. This group is very special. I met this group in, uh, in, a, country, in a city called Sengcheng in China. And all of these people have come to Christ in the United States. They were students, international students, each one of them men and women, have known, knew nothing about Jesus before coming to study at the university in, Amer in America, in one of the colleges. And that was very encouraging because we are involved in reaching international students in many, on many campuses in the U.S. How many of you are involved in a campus ministry? Anybody here? The campus is the future of the world. This is where students come and then return to assume some high positions, whether in business, engineering, doctors, scientists, and also politicians. Why is Saudi Arabia changing today? Because the crown prince studied in America. He was impressed by the freedom in America, and he's giving freedom to his country. Women can drive now for the first time in history. Not many are driving, but at least they give him <laughs> the opportunity to do that. And he's also opening up the country to even religious tolerance, which is incredible for Saudi Arabia. So this uh, report says China is on the course to become world most Christian nation within 15 years. In fact, the next statistic even goes beyond that to say China has more Christians than the entire U.S. and Canada population, estimated as up to 400 million. I think we should pause and give glory to God now. <laughs> These are two churches adjacent to each other in Taiwan, high-rise churches. They don't have a lot of space, so they go up. And this is uh, another large 10-story building. That's the one that I showed you a picture of. So this is in China, where only less than 100 years ago, there were less than 5 million Christians in China. And the communists were persecuting Christians. And the church was growing despite persecution, imprisonment, and torture. And just a couple years ago, the government decided to, uh, to break all the crosses over churches. And they succeeded in breaking 2,000 crosses of churches. They demolished the steeple. Actually, army went up on ladders and then started breaking them down. And yet the church thrived to the extent the Chinese government says, oh, this is counterproductive. <laughs> It's causing the church to grow even more. Let's stop persecuting them. And this is new in the last couple of years. The Muslim world, this is the toughest area, right? Yeah, it is true. Because many Muslims, if they become Christians, they are threatened with their lives. They lose everything. Tomorrow, we're starting right here a conference for converts from Islam. I can assure you that if not all of them, most of them have been ostracized by their, country, by their families. 
and many of them cannot go back to their country. They've had to give up everything to receive Christ. 350 million Muslims in the last 10 to 20 years have left Islam. They're not all Christians now, but they're open and we can reach them. Don't assume that the Muslims you meet or next door are not open to the gospel. Before, before you see a door closed, check it out, see if it is closed. And if it is closed, God is opening another door. The door that he opens, no one can shut. And God sent them here to hear the gospel. And the only ones who can share the gospel with them are the Christians. What, are the Muslims going to share the gospel with Muslims? It's our job to share the gospel with Muslims. Are we going to do it? I heard three voices. I know it's tough. I know it's difficult. But it requires a commitment to Christ and to his mission. It requires to say, Lord God, I'm too busy for this but I don't want to be. Lord God, I'm too comfortable doing nothing except going to church and playing church. I want to change. You can do that this morning and God will show you how he can use you because anyone who's yielded to the Lord can do greater things than even Jesus himself did because he said so. He said, you will do greater things than I have done if you are yielded to him. More Muslims have come to Christ in the last 20 years, since September 11, than in the past 14 centuries. Have you heard that statistic before? And I'm going to give you some of that. Here's a crosswalk.com uh, piece of news. Millions of Muslims converting to Christianity. Millions! Not one or two and five and ten like it used to be, 40 years ago, when I started ministry, over 40 years ago, I rarely heard of a Muslim come to Christ. It took me two years of witnessing to have one come to Christ, and he did not continue in the faith. But now, on a daily basis, continuously, I am in touch with Muslims who are coming to Christ. Through my personal witness, and through witness of our people on our staff, and through other mission agencies and churches, we are hearing this is the day for Muslims to come to Jesus Christ. Give glory to God. This is the time. Because of the Arab Spring in Egypt, the churches started being free. It was not allowed for any Muslim to go to a, to a, uh, to a church in, uh, in uh, Egypt. I lived in Egypt two years. And any church I went to, there were two policemen at the door checking IDs. And if you're a Muslim, they won't let you in, and sometimes they arrest you because you were attempting to go to a church and put you in prison. There are pastors who witnessed the Muslims, and when it was heard that by the government, it was reported, they would take them to jail and torture them so they'll never do that again. I know a Christian I met on an airplane. He said, he's from Yemen. He says, I came to a church and asked for a Bible, and they refused to give me a Bible because they said, we're not allowed to do that. But today has changed. Almost every church in Egypt now has Muslim converts coming freely in and out to hear the gospel. Even imams and sheikhs, leaders of mosques, are attending churches to hear what what Christian and the churches honor them and they put them in the front and they take pictures with them. It's a new day today. This service, see that church in the back there? If you go in that church, it will seat a thousand people. They called for a prayer vigil for the country on 11 11 11. And they said, We're going to start at 6 p.m and we'll go all night. 70,000 people showed up. The first time ever a group of this size goes to a church. 
and spend 12 hours worshiping Jesus. If you want to go on YouTube and check this out, you can say Revival in Egypt, and you'll get many, many YouTube videos showing them preaching and praising and worshiping and praying. A 12-hour video is found on Sat7, which filmed the, the whole event, 12-hour event. And it was shown in parts on TV many times. Glory to God. Kosovo. I was called to go to Kosovo when I read to you the door that God opens, no one can shut. I experienced that in Kosovo. When I felt the calling of God to go to Kosovo to help the few believers, there were less than 20 Christians in the whole country from Muslim background, I tried to get a visa. I called the embassy and they said, no, we don't give visas to Americans. And he hung up on me, wouldn't even want to know why I'm going to go. I heard God's call, and I said, I'm going to go anyway. If you want to know, some of these stories are in my book over there. This particular story is explained at length. And so I bought my ticket anyway, believing that God will make a way where there's no way. He will open the door. He shut one, he opens another. I went to the border, long story short. Everybody was telling me, don't go, don't go, it's not wise. They are persecuting Americans. And two Americans the day before were stripped naked and they robbed them of everything they had. And they threw them across the border naked, without any clothes. I don't know what happened to them afterwards. Somebody must have had pity on them. <laughs> and I said, oh, well, do I want that to happen to me? And then I saw Jesus hanging on the cross, mostly naked. And I said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, becoming like him in his death, so that one day I may attain resurrection from the dead. That's Philippians 3.10. We are called not only to believe in him, Philippians 1.29, but also to suffer for him. I said, I'm going to go anyway. I got to the borders. All the police stations there rejected me. said, no, you can't go. So at that time, I sat down on a bench. I said, God, did you call me or did you not? Am I just stupid? I've spent 40 hours coming here, a couple thousand dollars to get there, and I'm exhausted, and now I'm rejected after a whole day haggling with the police. With the, and uh, then three policemen picked me up, and one guy with a gun behind me pushed me into an office, the chief of police, He's the only one who spoke English. He says, why are you insisting to go to Kosovo? And remembered what Jesus said. Don't worry what you say when you stand before the authorities, because my Father will give you the right words. And he gave me the words. I didn't plan them. I didn't think of them. I said, I want to go convert Muslims to Christ. <laughs> and he said to me, that's wonderful. Give me your passport. And he stamped it himself. And I went there. He turned out to be a Greek Orthodox Serb who hates Muslims. And he says, oh, I want to kill them, but if you want to convert them and become Christians, not a bad idea. <laughs> so <laughs> that was in 1994, June 1994. In December this year, last year, 2017, on the 23rd of December, I was in Kosovo dedicating the largest church. It was full house, more people standing than sitting. And God has glorified himself as a result of that trip. Now there are 42 churches, all 100% made of Muslim converts, spread all over the country. And we just built this large church. And in two, three months after the building of the church, the church numbers doubled. These are all Muslim converts. Next. This is the church building. And we are right now buying this property on the left to make it into a parking lot. Because we didn't realize it's going to double so fast. This whole road is filled with cars. You can't even park anymore. So we're buying that property soon as we finish the fundraiser for it.
This is the cutting of the ribbon when we, uh, on December 23rd, Pastor Femi. This is the congregation that attended the dedication. A lot of people standing in the back. This is only one part. I couldn't take a picture of the whole building. It's huge. Iran, 40 years, the church grew from 3,000 Christians in 1979, before the Khomeini revolution, to now more than 2 million. That's amazing. The Iranians are coming to Christ so fast that some missionaries said that it's possible that Iran become the first nation to return to Christianity among all the 56 Muslim countries. And that's be, it's happening. Iranians love the Lord. This week, how many Iranians do we have? Six or seven Iranian converts are coming to this conference this week. That's why I'm here, but as a bonus, I got to speak to you. Thank you for inviting me. So this is a mass baptism in Iran. In Iran, they are persecuting pastors, putting them in jail. They have killed several of them. Two pastors that I know personally were killed. And yet the church is openly declaring Jesus, and many are coming to Christ. And the government does not know what to do with them. You can't kill two million people via genocide. They've tried, but they haven't succeeded. And Iranians are coming to Christ in Canada, in the US, in Europe, everywhere. There are churches made out of Iranian converts from Islam. Cubs to lions is what's happening tomorrow. From cubs to lions. We want the, the, those who have converted to Christianity or to Christ to be strong, not chickens or little cubs, but to be strong in the faith. So we've seen amazing transfer, uh, transformation happen in the lives of these people after a week of this teaching. It's not the end because we follow up with them. Some of them we follow up for years. Some of them we forget because we don't have enough ha hands to uh, take care of them. But I'm going to show you some pictures of the last one, just last month in Colorado. 23 people came. You see Linda over there on the right. And I am somewhere there. <laughs> uh, 23 people from 12 countries came together. And this is a hike in the mountains. Can you advance it for me? I need to charge this, I think. Problem. Uh, Mesa, I think I'm going backwards again. This is the classroom. This is Mesa. She's a Saudi who came to Christ a few years ago. Now she's a teacher at Cups Alliance. She was teaching in Colorado. And before that, this is Mesa and her husband and two beautiful children. This is when we came uh, every week, every Cubs Alliance on the second day, usually night, after hearing two days of teaching, I give an invitation to those who have not yet received Christ in a formal way, like repent and, and receive Christ, pray the sinner's prayer, and dedicate their life to Christ to come forward. And we had three Saudis and one Iraqi receive Christ. That was Tuesday in, uh, when was that, July or June? I forgot, just a few weeks ago. And last night we got together and uh, we had a time of fellowship and sharing testimonies and then we had communion and then we had washing of feet. This is a, a medical doctor from Saudi Arabia washing his wife's feet. If you don't think this is a miracle, you don't know anything about Muslim men and Muslim Saudis. He had never done anything like this, and he would never have done anything like this had it not been for what Jesus did in his life. And so they are now living in Saudi Arabia, and they have a home fellowship in their home. Praise God for that. And he just wrote yesterday, was it yesterday? on? that he led someone to Christ. His name is Abdurrahman. And so we're seeing Saudis come to Jesus. Last year we had a conference for Saudi believers. 
and the Arab Gulf states. We had 50 people show up. 25 of them are Saudis. And each one of them looked around and said, I never knew there were other Saudis who have become Christians. I thought I was the only one. And they get encouraged. They stay in touch with each other. And a lot of things happening behind the scenes. Now they prayed for me. <laughs> That's me there on the floor. I told them I have an ear problem the last year. I probably had a concussion and, and I lost a little bit of hearing. So I asked them to pray for me. And that night my ear popped and I hear better in my left ear than the right ear now. <laughs> Lord hear me. This is what we call the huggle. It's a group hug. We huddled together and uh, and that was the last thing we saw each other. We gave each other a huggle, we sang, and we prayed, and committed them to the Lord. We're going to do that this week. Pray for us. We will have how many people? We have 20 people signed up for this conference this week in Edmonton. Would you today be part of what God is doing? around the world by being part of what he's doing also and wants to do in your neighborhood where you live, where you go to school, where you go to work. There are Muslims everywhere. Who has a Muslim barber? Barber? Barber shop? Okay. Give them a gospel. Chat with them. Meet with them outside their work. Say, you know, I'd like to get to know you. I like you. Let's get together. Let's meet at uh, Horton, Morton, whatever it's called. <laughs> <laughs> and, and just get together and, and share your life with them. Do you know many of you would not witness because you think witnessing is difficult? You think witnessing, what do I say? What verses do I use? You don't have to know anything. All you have to do is share who you are. Share your faith with them. Tell them what, what, how much Jesus means to you. Talk about your testimony, about an experience, a prayer, a prayer, answer to prayer, anything is called witness. It's not like a formula of how to be saved and stuff like that. I messed up again. So I'm going to give you a little bit of overview of what's happening in Lebanon. I think I'm going backwards again. Come on, please, cooperate. Is it okay if I do random? This, um, this woman here was covered, loves the Lord with all of her heart. She, against her husband's will, <laughs> attended a Christian conference with her daughter, who's next to her, uh, with the Cubs to Lions in Lebanon. We had 150 Christian refugees come to that. And that little girl, 12-year-old, ran to me and said, Pastor George, Please pray for me and my mom because we're afraid what will my dad do to her and to me because for three days we left our dad and he did not want us to come to the conference because he wants his wife to be there to cook for him and clean for him and take care of him. He did not want her to go and he had been opposed to her becoming a Christian. This is in the center of our center in Beirut. So I prayed for them and they went home, and I did not know what happened till on Saturday, a week, less than a week later. She ran to me, she says, God answered your prayer. I said, what happened? She said, when my mom and I came, we were so afraid to come into the house. And he looked angry, and he said, what did you learn in this three days? And so my mom sat down and tried to explain to him what she learned. And he says, I want to go with you. Can I go with you next time? And instead of beating them, he joined them. Two months later, he received Christ. And two months after that, I met him for the first time. Because I go and come. So I saw him at a church. I was preaching that night. It was a Christmas Sunday. And I saw pews in the church. I saw a row of, of him, his wife, and nine children sitting on one pew. And I said, glory, glory to God. So at the end, I came and asked him, tell me your story. 
is that when my wife came back from this conference with my daughter, I was ready to beat them up. But I saw light shining in their faces. And I said, I can't do that. I want to know what the secret of my wife and daughter. Why are they so much in love with Jesus? Why are they going to church? Why are they doing this? And so my heart changed, and I wanted to know. And now I know why I had to leave Aleppo after losing everything. Lost his house, his car, his business. Everything went to nothing. And he became a refugee with his 11 members of his family, he and his wife and nine children, living in a small room that is from here to there. Just on the floor mats, I've, I've been in their house. He said, now I know why we had to leave. I would never have known anything about Jesus. So we lost everything to gain what is worth everything, Jesus. Praise the Lord. So this is, uh, so I think that was, it's okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end up here somewhere. Here. I have no idea why this is happening. What is this? What? <laughs> I don't know. Let me just. I have no clue. This is jumping around like crazy. I've never had this experience before. We're starting over from beginning. <laughs> okay, that's an overview here, a quick overview. <laughs> Africa, India, China, China, Hong Kong, Taiwan. Okay, we're getting close. All right, here, Muslim world, Egypt, Kosovo, now Iran, now Lebanon is coming. Cups to Lions, you saw that. Praise the Lord. It's working this time. Okay, good, wonderful. All right. Prayed for me. Huggle. Refugee crisis. Uh, I'm going to skip this. These are the various centers that the Lord has given us. We started in Beirut with a small building, rented floor. Now we own the whole building, thank God. And we have a big courtyard that can house about 300 chairs with the inside. We could even fit 500 squeezed. And it's full most of the time. We start with one meeting, now six, me uh, six everyday meeting, and then two, and then three, and four meetings. We have 27 events taking place in that center. Then we started spreading our wings to the north of the country, Tripoli, where I grew up, uh, which is a Sunni area, Tyre in the south, a Shiite area, Bika, close to the Syrian border, in Syria and Jordan. We also spread into Egypt and Turkey, and we're seeing, we have now 14 centers in the Middle East, North Africa region, and we're aiming for 100 centers. Would you praise God for that vision? This is a glimpse of one of the centers. This is the one I told you. We put plastic chairs, $5 chairs, and many of them break. We buy another one. <laughs> and so uh, this gathering is probably 300 or more people, most of them Muslim, 90% or more are Muslim. We occasionally get non-Muslims coming, but our ministry is to the Muslim refugees. And every time I have called people to come forward, we've had a number of them come to Christ. Sometimes the, the smallest number is three, and sometimes 50 and 60 people come forward to receive Christ. Linda is a witness to this. She's been there, and she saw what was happening. And you will soon come and join us there as well. Who has been to Lebanon? Anybody here? Has been. You've been to the, oh yeah, well, that's a long time ago, yeah. All right, so I hope all of you could come join us. We have short-term teams. Uh, okay, this is a, a women's uh, discipleship group. This is a school of hope. You can actually sponsor a student. We have now 120 kids. These are kids mostly of those who have come to Christ, like this guy and his children. We teach them the Word of God as well as a regular Syrian curriculum. And they are amazing. These kids have stories. 
And this is one of the classrooms. This is the Cubs to Lions discipleship uh, meeting in small groups to discuss the Word of God. And this is one of the small groups praying together. See them veiled? Don't be fooled by the veil. These are believers in Jesus. But they have not yet felt comfortable removing the veil. Some of it because of the culture, because of the husbands who wouldn't allow them. Some of it they just feel naked without this veil. They, they've been wearing it since they're seven years old. But a number of them are actually becoming free of the veil. But it takes them two, three years to get the idea. We know that story now. So what God is doing around the world. There's an olive tree here, which is in Romans 11. You'll see it later. <laughs> I'm going to give you this statistic to encourage you. 85% of Muslims who have come to Christ have come to Christ because someone witnessed to them. Is that strange? That's not strange. That's normal. Who, how, how will they believe of whom they haven't heard of? How will they hear without a witness? We need a witness. 85%. If I tell you that 85% of Muslims will come to Christ if someone witnesses to them, wouldn't you do it? Wouldn't you go out and begin at least the process of engaging them in a relationship, in a friendship, and then share the gospel with them? I'm just going over by a couple minutes because of your technology. 60% of them have had dreams and visions of Jesus, amazing dreams. Many of these dreams have Bible content. For example, a Saudi sees a dream. She's never heard the gospel before. She sees a dream of herself going to a room, and she opened the door, and she found a man dressed in white writing on a wall with his finger with blood coming out of his finger. He wrote in blood, in Arabic, I am the way, the truth, and the life. She ran to her computer when she woke up and searched for that, found out it was the words of Jesus. Jesus appeared to me, and he told me, I am the way, the truth, and the life. She became a Christian after some uh, work and study. And many of them watch TV, media, uh, videos, YouTube, Facebook, or social media, and so on. And some receive literature, like you will take some in the Testament, give them to somebody, and that's a factor in winning souls for Christ. And very few of them just walk into a church. Rarely would they even dare uh, to walk into a church. Can you advance it to the last one, please? This is the olive tree. In Romans it says, the Jews were the olive tree domestic. And then those who reject Christ were cut off. And then others from all nations were grafted in. The next slide, they grafted in. And look what we have, a fruit tree, which is mentioned in Revelation. Twelve types of fruit in this tree. This is the tree of life. The tree of life. That's our goal. Our goal is to graft people into that tree. The tree of life. So they may have life in Jesus Christ. And without you doing anything about it, who's going to do it? You're going to leave it for the other church? Well, the other church is leaving it for you. Let's rise. Let's stand up and make a, a commitment to the Lord today. Let's read this verse together. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I think I know what happened when you converted from Apple to PC. It messes it up. Now I remember. All right. This mystery, it is a mystery spoken of in Ephesians in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 10, is that through Christ Jesus, the nations and the Jews will come together in what is called the church. And that's the tree that we spoke about. They become heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, one tree, and sharers together in the promise, promise of eternal life, promise of salvation, promise of peace, of reconciliation with God. 
brothers and sisters, we have a task. Let us do it. Let us go out and reach out. Let's step outside our comfort zone and say, Lord Jesus, I have not done this. I have not been active. I have been playing church. I, I love you, Lord Jesus, but I want to be effective. I want to be fruitful. If you feel touched today by God through this message, encouraged is great. All of us are encouraged. But are you challenged? Come forward here. And let me pray with you as they come to sing the last song. Who would like to come forward here and I'll pray with you? That you may not know what you want to do. Just tell him, Lord, I'm willing to do it. Whatever it is, help me, guide me. Here's one, here's two. Let's, let's come forward and pray here together. No shame to this. In fact, take pride in your obedience to the Lord. And just come forward, let's pray. Come closer to me so more people. It's going to be, in fact, all the church is going to come in a few minutes. I know, you're working on it. Just come and let's pray together. My request is that you seek the Lord and say, Lord, what does that mean? What does it mean? How am I going to bear fruit for you? Release my mouth. Open my heart toward others. Change the way I think about Muslims and Islam. Muslims are not our enemies. They are victims to Islam, and we want to save them from the deception and lostness and darkness of Islam. And we can do it by opening our mouth and sharing the gospel. And the Lord will give you the right words. If others want to join us, come forward, and I'm going to pray for you. If you can kneel, go ahead, kneel, and I'll kneel right with you, right here. If you are uh, convicted and you're still there, you can pray with us too. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your calling on our lives. First, you called us to yourself, through Jesus Christ, reconciled us, and gave us also the ministry of reconciliation, that we may implore people on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Lord God, we know the mission, we know the vision, we know what we need to do. Why aren't we doing it? I know there's many, many excuses. There are many reasons why. I pray, Father, that you will take all these away. You'll cleanse our minds from all the excuses that we have. Fear, probably. Intimidation by Islam. Maybe anger at Muslims. Maybe apathy, we didn't really care. I pray that you would take all these hindrances away and all these obstacles, and fill us with your Spirit, that as you promised, when the Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the world. We are right here in Edmonton, and you brought the world to Edmonton. We thank you, Lord, that you brought them here to us, that we may reach them. Help us, help this church, Lord, to grow, I'm not talking about just numbers. I'm talking about souls coming to Christ, about people saved who need you, Lord Jesus. Help this church in partnership with Brother Joseph, his ministry. Where are you, Brother Joseph? Come over. Come over and pray with us. Brother Micah, can you come over? Would you please, the two of you, just pray over these people and commit them to work with you as you are cooperating in the mission and a new initiative because we want to make a difference for the kingdom, right? We don't want to just play church. We love church. I love church. And God is honored through our worship, through our singing, through our prayers, through our reading the scripture. But he will be so much more glorified as he, as he said in John, in John 15. He said, it is to my Father's glory that you bear witness, that you bear fruit, much fruit. It is to my Father's glory that you bear fruit. If you want to really glorify God beyond singing and beyond dancing for Him and all the other things, bear fruit for Him and He will be glorified. And you will also be glorified. And you will be so joyful. You would never have imagined the joy you have when you usher people into the kingdom of God and give them hope of eternal life and salvation. Praise you, Lord.
Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.